Okay, let's begin. Let's begin. So, um, episode... What episode are we on right now in the bill? Three. Okay, when you raise three fingers, nobody hears you. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably turn off the video just to realize there's some stuff. <laughs> episode three, and we have a really, really special guest. Um... I don't want to say more special than, than the last one, um, but... Who was your last guest? <laughs> okay, you're not supposed to talk yet, but okay, all right. Sorry. It, it, was, it was Josh Hayes. <laughs> oh, that's, that's all. Okay, fair <laughs> Special, more special than the last one. <laughs> uh, we have Chris Ulrich, which is... Which Woo! is... Basically, Chris and his uh, and his family and his race team are, I think, in my opinion, are considered the patriarch of motorcycle road racing in the U.S. I mean, the, everything they did for the sport and the way they're they're so influential and in, instrumental in in building the sport really from scratch, and and participating and helping and raising money and. Um, doing everything they can they just live and breathe motorcycle road racing and uh i have i have an intro here chris um so your your title right now is the road race road racing world race editor you're the talent scout slash vice president of operations for motor america uh and you're the vice president of racing operations in team hammer which used to be m4 or what's well, uh, yeah, so Team Hammer is the parent company. It's been around since 1980. And we don't, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we can continue racing, right, is we sell sponsorship. Um, the team's income uh, structure has always been uh, sell sponsorship, go racing. So it's not something. Um, so when you have that, right, you you tend to put the parent company aside and put the your partner ahead. And so that's whether it was... Uh, in the first year, I think they figured that out it was 1986 when they got a Suzuki deal and um, became an official Suzuki team. And, and it changed from being Team Hammer to Team Suzuki Endurance. And then it went from there to Team Valvoline Suzuki, Valvoline MGO Suzuki. And we've had a few different, you know, partners. We had Chevron very early on, um, Geico Motorcycle, Monster Energy, all, all these partners, right? You know, we didn't really care that, okay, this is Team Hammer. We cared that Monster Energy or Geico or uh, Valvoline, you know, Valvoline was a 14-year relationship. M4 has been a 20-plus year relationship. We have some new partners coming on um, for this season that you'll it'll be announced pretty soon that, that you'll see. And then, you know, we plan on everybody to be a long-term relationship because we put the, and we try to make sure they get the exposure they need. So, yeah, so it's Team Hammer is the base company. It's founded by my father, John Rich, and uh, his partner, Bruce Hammer. And um, it took Hammer's uh, namesake, but unfortunately, he got, uh, got paralyzed in 1982 and um, subsequently left the sport. And he actually he runs a business now up in the Bay Area that makes um, um, special products for people with disabilities. So he's, he's gone on to make a great career for himself. So anyway, yeah, that's Team Hammer. It's, it's just name on the contract and then we promote our partners and then and then you got pretty much riders that turn to be the best in the world or some of the best in the world riding for you and and i mean the list goes on and on but the last the last one that 
came through the ranks and, and went through your team was SDK, right? Yeah, yeah. Sean was, um, you know, we've been following Sean since he was racing in Mexico. And, and we have some friends, Robertino Pietri and, and Roberto Pietri, the family. Um, Robertino runs, runs or ran a, a Taltrans Moto2 team. And he was my teammate back in the mid-2000s. So we always kind of kept in touch with a lot of stuff. And um, because he's my eyes over in Europe and we were kind of, we were watching Sean, but we didn't know him too well, but, you know, had, had our eye on him, had our eye on him. And he was getting out of Red Bull rookies and kind of in a bad spot. And so, you know, flew him over here for a test and then decided to invest in his career, invest in him and he, he paid us back. So very good. And then he's gone on to his, um, to his next step. So I'm, I'm proud, I'm proud of the role we played in Sean and, And also you got John Hopkins that came through our program in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and Ben Spees and, you know, Schwantz. I remember. Playing a little bit of claim Schwantz, but not too much. I remember he did something he, he shouldn't have, which he, he never told you that he couldn't race. There was, there was a, a story. His hand was, uh, I think his thumb was out, and he couldn't race for a season, Hopkins, right? Is that what happened? Uh, no, he, uh, when he, he was second term back at us. So he launched his career, got him over there, came back. He had some problems with his wrist that weren't disclosed, but, um, you know, water, water, water on the bridge. He did a good job at the end of the season and, uh, you know, it's all good. Okay. So, so out of, out of all the talent that, that went through your ranks, how would you rank Nabil Kabani? Oh, man, tough call. <laughs> Academy, <laughs> Academy class of 2016. No, later, I think, no. Seven, Second year, I think it was. Second 16. or third year. 16 then? No, you wow, were in the group with Daniel. Long. You were in the group with Daniel the group afterwards. But Daniel and Greg yeah. were in groups. And then, yeah, did a good job. He's a good, good student. student. Good student, you know, got fit. He just has poor motorcycle choices. <laughs> oh! Oh! I'm going to break my bike in for half a day. It's good. I knew you know that was good. done on the dyno. <laughs> <laughs> so which, which bike did you bring to the Academy? The MV or, or the R6? No, actually, he had the R6. That, that one ran. And then it was the R6. Yeah. Then he decided to get an MV after that. And then he decided to spend half a day or... But the whole day break it in. <laughs> yep. On the yeah. Race and then I and then I, you know, broke in the engine really well until it broke. And now I have an 800 engine though. It's it's uh it's homologated again. Torque But I'll I'll tell you we, we gotta talk about Chris as a coach here, besides his other illustrious accomplishments. He's one of my by far one of my favorite coaches. He's the only one, and I've done a lot of coaching in the past with a lot of different people, of course never improved but you know thanks to Chris I did I think I dropped eight seconds or 10 seconds in, in uh, Fontana after the yeah. academy but Chris was the only one who looked at everything like they'd look at your lines your riding he repositioned my foot bags he he was looking at the body position when I'm on the bike and you know on the pit in the pit just to make sure I'm comfortable and and uh, it was completely rounded and of course at the beginning You were talking about conditioning. It was like three words came out of his mouth. It's like, okay, you got to do 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 <laughs> squats, and 100 lunges every day. And it did help. 
I did help tremendously. I, I don't think I've improved much since. I'm ready for another academy. There you go. <laughs> camps. You, you know, you think about those, uh, all that stuff and being real well-rounded on the coaching side. A lot of people get these bikes and it's like, okay, they put rear sets on they got the rear set in some wonky position. They don't really think about where, where everything goes. And you underestimate the power of your feet on the motorcycle and how much that being able to move, you know, back and forth and the role your feet play in the bike and, and having them in the right position that, when I raced, you know, I, I decided I was going to move my weight forward on the bike and get it a little bit farther forward from a, um, not from a pivot, but just, you know, a little bit farther forward towards the front of the engine. Threw my foot peg and, and I was able to, we were having some traction problems on the CBR 1000 while I was racing the thing. And, you know, I was able to reduce uh, some spring rate by moving my, my weight forward and allowed me to put my position, my body a little bit more over the fuel tank. I still rotate the bike and get everything I needed to do. And I was able to reduce the, the real spring rate. So I had some more traction, more drive grip, and I subsequently went faster. So it's, it's you know, at that level, that really helps. But then, at, you know, at, say, the track day level, the, the amateur club, club race level, just being comfortable on the bike so you can move side to side is, that's a big, big, big thing. Because then you, you, you take the, the brain power or the tension that you have on your foot or trying to move back and forth or this is kind of uncomfortable, kind of weird, feeling odd, then, you know, you, you eliminate that and they can think about riding a motorcycle. Tell, tell us about yeah. your adventures in, in air fencing and how you're helping uh, Motor America and, and other races just keep racers safe and, and alive. Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the Road Racing World Action Fund, I was founded in, in 2001. That's part of my father's take back the AMA campaign. Um, and when he ran for the, the AMA board, but he, uh, you know, he's just, he grew up in an era like my, my father, you know, he's just kind of been, been in the business since 1970s, where I've been selling, selling, selling stuff to different magazines and work, worked at, you know, cycle world cycle, motorcyclist, cycle news, you know, worked at all the, all the other major players in the, in the business, um, the motor journalist business. Um, and, um, you know, that was kind of an era where we were killing off a lot of people, maiming people, um, track safety was, you know, wasn't at the forefront, you know, and the, and the general attitude during that time was like, Hey, you know, if you don't like it, you can leave. And so, you know, we get through the 80s and, and, you know, obviously we have a race team, right? You see a few of our guys get hurt. Like our co-founder, you know, Bruce Hammer, he, he crashed into a guardrail on the outside of the carousel at North America in, in May of 1982. Um, then in 1988, um, another rider, Russell Falk, he, he was, you know, injured, fatally injured at, at Sonoma. But there was a serious point back then, but now it's Sonoma Raceway. Hit the, there used to be a big old embankment on the outside of turn eight, and he hit that. So 750 augured thing in. Um, and then the, you know, plus there's tons of other guys, right? Tons, tons of guys that, that go through that. And um, it, anyway, as the years went, you know, yeah, the safety got a little bit better, a little bit better. But now it's like, okay, we got this air fence stuff. Why don't we have more of it? I mean, AMA. Pro at the time in 2001 had a couple, you know, a few sections, and they're we were asking to get more and more because you know obviously we have this new technol 
technological advancements in rider safety. And it's, it's, it's an easy one, right? It's the cost isn't that high. You can put the stuff up and take it down and it, and it makes like tracks like Road Atlanta actually usable. And, you know, so they, they told them, ah, whatever, you know, no, you know, we're, we can't get it. And if we're going to get it, we're, you know, we don't need it. We're going to get it. It's going to be the end of the season. You can't do anything about it. So we put an editorial up on roadracingworld.com and said, hey, look, I'm buying a section of the stuff. And so I think at that time, a section was somewhere between $2,000 and $3,000. I mean, it's been 21 years since we did that. So laid out his own money. Said, okay, I'm buying a section. Who's with me? Next thing you know, we got Yamaha in, we got Suzuki in, we got regular donors, you know, fans, industry types, and they're buying, we're buying sections. And, you know, instantly we ordered the stuff and we had it deployed. I don't know the exact amount of time, but it was pretty short, right? I think that that, that went out from the time of that to the deployment. The first deployment was that we had it delivered and it deployed to Rhode Atlanta uh, for the spring race. So that was right around probably the end of April, maybe early May. Um, and, you know, we had it deployed by then. I was thinking, I don't know how many sections, 10 sections, 20 sections. I think, I think he actually played on, there was Alpina and there was Air Fence or something like that. And they'd split and he played on the, the rivalry to get, get the sections sorted, um, which did a good job. And they, they got it done. And um, I mean, you know, I talk about good karma. The first guy that went into that stuff was Grant Lopez, who was riding a Valvoline and Ghost Suzuki uh, Form Extreme bike. And he went into the last corner of Road Atlanta. It used to be this really fast uh, third, Fast, it's fourth gear, fourth gear right-hander. I mean, it was like, put the thing on your knee and go back to the stop. And um, he augured the thing in over there and it's a big giant concrete wall. And he hit air fence instead of the wall. And, um, you know, lived to tell the tell. He dislocated his shoulder and uh, he was able to race the next round. So, uh, and then since then, man, you got all these these stories. You know, we, we, we built it up, right? We built the go back to stories but we built up the the action fund turned into a 501c3 nonprofit and um you know now we deploy every section of air fence of, that's deployed at moto america is um owned by the road race Real action fund in fact we just got some donations this year um about 150,000 through all the stuff that we did for the action fund some private donors the, the money i raised through two seaters for them uh, all the fines like you get a speeding fine and a ticket right you gotta you gotta pay a pay and the donation goes to the action fund which is a great program too and then obviously the two-seater they sell tickets and, and then we raise money using two-seat rides at, at those races and that was i mean um we had some private donors and one of the private donors was the, the you know ceo of the medallia and i actually gave him a, a two-seat ride at, at, at laguna so hopefully I, I played a little role in that but um you know we, we own all those sections and then we, we have accrued so many, so, so much air fence that now we were, you know, CCS has, has a bunch of sections and we've covered, you know, through all my fundraising at, at Fontana, we've covered Fontana, you know, or Auto Club Speedway. So everybody that goes to Fast Track Riders Day or we're, we're West, I mean, that's all air fence that was purchased by the Action Fund through, through fundraising, you know, especially the, the two seat fundraiser through at, at the end of the fall. And then, you know, David Piles and Ahmad and, and those guys did did a lot of fund matching, you know, in, with that program too, and and did a good job. But then we also have, I mean, AFM has some sections, Into has sections, 
the guys at Blackhawk. So, but anyway, through through all the fundraising, why we've been able to get the money, purchase it, disperse it, and we've saved countless lives. I mean, you, you look at just at Moto America stuff, like Kyle Wyman's crash at, at Barber uh, a few years ago when we went back first into the air fence at, at over 100. Um, you know, and you got uh, Yates. Yates had a pretty gnarly crash in some air fence at Sonoma a few years ago. Back when he was racing in the late late two thousands and mid two thousands, so you know, it, saved it, countless lives, right? It's, it's kind of funny because uh, you know. a, a lot of people talk, and you and your family, you just do, right? I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm buying this air fence. Who's who's with me, right? Here's a section. Yeah. Let's start. It was the same with twenty fourteen when we didn't have any any racing, right? And and yeah. your dad went like, yeah, we're we're starting a league. We're doing a shootout. Let's do three rounds, right? So yeah. it's kind yeah. of a pattern. You just, you, you do, right? I mean, you do so much for the sport. Yeah, you don't, you know, we, yeah, you don't, don't talk shit, do shit, right? Um, yeah. Well, and that, the 2014 thing was, I, I remember it pretty well because I was, you know, I was racing professionally, Superbike, and I was, you know, in charge of a bunch of sponsorship sales and sorting out the TV for it. And so, that we're we're on an airplane doing a shop visit and we're, we're we got this big sponsor from Geico Motorcycle and those guys that's a company it's a non-endemic they don't care if they don't have to be in motorcycle road racing to sell sell insurance policies they want to be here if the conditions are right to get the, the amount of exposure and you know for a company like that it's all about TV and having a good TV package, which, I mean, you see Motor America's got a good TV package and now they're back doing some series sponsorship and some event sponsorship. But um, we're sitting on an airplane and he's like, we're gonna, they got five rounds, that's not enough. They have no TV, it's not enough. We're gonna do, we're gonna do a race. We're gonna do a three race series. Uh, did a shop visit and I flew home. Uh, I had a friend that worked at Lucas Oil, you know, with Lucas Oil. Um, products owns map tv and uh got us a, a meeting with the president of, of, of map tv you know rolled in there we didn't know anything about tv production tv how to get it on tv whatever right it was like walked out of there going oh, okay i get it you know um called a few people we knew that did some tv stuff found a packager and ended up being great white and um Packaged it and raised the money from nothing to paying prize money. And the paying the prize money was a really important thing to my father because it was, you know, prize money. You know, you got to have, yeah, we got racing, we got exposure, but man, for everybody in there, you got to have some prize money. You got to have some incentive. And it was, I think I, I, I did the purse structure and, the, and the, my goal, I knew that the, that the factory guys had bonus programs in their contracts. And so I had taken, you know, just to, to get some guys, you know, the, um, the club race guys and excited about coming because we we're actually going to club races and, and we place these races at a club race, right? We were a West race an AFM race and a Utah sport bike association race. Was, yeah. And, um, you know, and incentivize those, those guys getting in, you at least could get your entry fee back if, if you finish the race. Um, finished in the, the whatever position so and i knew like you know the factory guys that were showing up okay they had a, they had some bonuses stuck on the top of their contract and kind of knew that my guys too had had that kind of stuff and so i was like okay look man we, we're gonna we're gonna you know i hate to 
uh, we're going to spread spread the love a little bit just for the for the sake of the sport, not the, you know, um, yeah. So we did it. Um, I think the last sponsor that came in, we had the Geico Motorcycle supported the Yamaha Motorcorp, Suzuki, um, and then uh, you know a lot of other guys, Dino Jet, a few other, and um, the last one that came in was a Rye. Uh, I think my my dad used the Blues Brothers pitch for a mission from God, and. Um, we were able to play prize money, so it was it was awesome. You know, and then it ran eighteen times on on Mac TV because the production was so good. Yeah, it's funny. It it's motorcycle road racing used to be so big. I think mostly because of the exposure, right? People people saw it on Speed Channel and people saw it on NBC, and it it used to take center stage. And and now I don't know what happened, but. Millennials are not interested in it anymore. Uh, networks are not interested in it, in it anymore. It's it's weird because the sport is so uh, so exciting to watch as a spectator. Uh, not to mention actually doing it. That I don't I don't know what happened. I mean, a lot of people say it's the cost. The cost went up to race. Um, but say on the you know look, there's no magic bullet, right? But the, the motorcycle industry in general has been you know kind of. Up yeah. and down, up and down. They're not selling enough yeah. road bikes. No. I mean, probably not, but I mean, look, if they want to spend the money, they'd be here, right? Um, the, I think a lot of the decline was was more or less sorted out when the handover uh, between AMA Pro and then going to DMG. And DMG guys pissed a lot of people off to the point where it was like, hey, man, I'm out. And um, Suzuki stayed the course, Yamaha stayed the course. Um, we had Buell in there, you know. Um, but they, the willy-nilly rules enforcement, um, you know, generally what those guys were doing just rubbed a lot of the industry wrong, wrong, right? And so when that budget gets taken away, or just they slash that budget, say, if, you know, whoever was spending one or two or three or four or 10 million or whatever they are, right? And they, that goes and gets, Put, put into their supercross program, you ain't ever getting that back unless you got somebody that's in the business, in the building that's got enough steam that's that'll lay their, you know, lay it out and go, look, we're gonna go and we're gonna use motorcycle road racing to promote the whatever whatever line, CBR, the ninja line, or our R line, GSR line, you know, there's there's I've seen it, you know, I think that a lot of people say, okay, sell on, you know, went on Sunday, sell on Monday, dead. No, it actually, I've seen it because, you know, I, I do, I, I sell quite a few motorcycles for the race team, you know, and, and customer bikes and we supply customer bikes to all this motorsports. We, and this year, Michael Gilbert's racing one of my Suzuki GSL 1000s that we built. I saw that, it, customer, it's, it's, that customer base didn't exist for me until, you know, I was able to get the performance of the motorcycles, get the team performing, the riders performing to the point where we were winning. We won the 2019 Supersport Championship with Bobby Fong. Not only did the sales demand go up for that motorcycle, the cost that I could then sell a motor, uh, a, a race bike for uh, essentially doubled. It was insane. I was like, oh, Okay, I've never sold a GSR 600 for that much money, but I'm in. And um, you know, 
and and it was like I always kind of looked at it was funny because I'm mean, being pretty candid on this stuff. Looked at what what Graves was charging for stuff, right? And man, that's insane. How the hell is he getting that kind of money? Well, he's winning. I was winning two races a year. He was winning championships, right? We got to the point where the bike was was at the level we needed it to be, and we could do that. And we had the riders. It was like, oh, okay, there you go. I get it. You know, same same with other other guys that are selling motorcycles. So selling specifically race bikes, um, high quality stuff, right? But if the it doesn't have the performance, they're not going to sell it. So now there's there's you know enough demand. I think uh, there's going to be a few more, a lot more, you know, GSR one thousands on on the grid. But I mean, that's that's kind of stuff that I started doing programs back in 2017 and i'm now starting to see the results you know, from from that type of program and, and stuff like that so it um you got to win you got to have performance right but i mean we're kind of getting off in the weeds um but generally yeah the the effect that racing has on your high performance credentials if you sell a thing right i mean yamaha yamaha played that really well with the with the r1 because i mean you look at the previous model r1 when it came out in 2009 that thing was a turd. They sold, that was the best selling thousand for years. And it was because they were able to successfully tie it to not only the MotoGP program, but also their, their championship winning uh, Yamaha racing team. So, you know, and that put them right at the front. Whereas, you know, the other guys that didn't have those, that type of program, you know, didn't do as well. Um, so it's, I think you gotta be here. And I think that, um, you know, going to my own opinion that that uh, all great impressions are local, and I don't think that you know it's it's more impressive for those guys to watch a, a Sean Dillon Kelly or a Cam Bobier or whoever it is to win on their home track, right? You go to Sonoma or you race at Fontana or you race at Red Atlanta, you, you know, holy crap, man, my guys are here, big fan. Wow, how'd that guy go that fast? How are they doing? 23s around Red Atlanta, you know, and uh, it's impressive, right? How fast those guys can go. And, yeah. and that's more impressive to the guys. And they can want to go get out on the racetrack and emulate those individuals and have some fun. And that creates the brand loyalty. That's a lot, lot more than say watching some dude over in Italy going around Magellan. Yeah. Which, which, yeah. I, which I heard. Which but, I heard yeah. If, if they, if they want it, but the point is if they want to spend the money, they would spend the money. So, if, yeah, uh, you know, but they're not going to currently, I think the, the big situation is they're not, you know, some companies are different than others. I know, I know very well what's going on over at one, um, but uh, the other ones that aren't actually in the paddock, right. You're not going to get that budget away from the super cost program, especially when it's winning. And so and those things are packing right. seven. And Italian well, bikes, I mean, they, they have really big budgets and they're not spending it in Motor America or local races, yeah. right? You don't see Aprilia's and Ducati's filling out the grids in Wira, right? No. Yeah. It's uh, starting. I, I do want to talk about the current racing, but uh, before we stray too far from the air fence, so Chris, uh, for the two and a half people that listen to this, the to donate to the air fence program, uh, I, I saw on your website, so roadracingworld.com slash action fund, and then the PayPal yeah. address is rwaf at roadracingworld.com right yep yep and, okay um, Perfect. you know it's tax deductible because it's a non 501c3 non-profit and, and you know like i said it, it not only benefits professional motorcycle racers but it also benefits track day riders and and you know the whole whole community that goes out to the racetrack i think 
know, one note on that, we've, we've done such a good job of, of normalizing having good safety and good good air fence that now, you know, riders demand it. So it's, uh, it's, it's worth it, you know, and it's, uh, it's good. Right. It's wonderful and it's saving countless lives. So it's uh, rwaf at racingworld.com. And also they can come to, you're still going to do the two up rides in Fontana? Uh, not sure, man, since I moved, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to run that, run that, uh, run that fundraiser. But, uh, if you're going to a Moto America race and you want to donate, you can, you can come up and do a direct donation and go for a, a two seat ride and that's uh, $350. And then if you, uh, they also sell a, a $500 ticket package where you get a, you know, pack pass and, and parking pass and all that stuff. And then $350 of that around $350 of that goes to the action fund and the donation. So, um, we run, uh, right. every day, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, the, 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 our window, you know, is between 50 and 30 and 50 minutes. So sometimes an hour, but yeah, you can get through a lot of rides in 60 minutes. So, do you, have, do you have any yeah. funny stories you can tell us about the two uprights and you can you can leave names out uh my wife hasn't ridden on the back of a motorcycle since 2005 because of the two speed up she shouldn't have, man we were just dating at the time she shouldn't have stuck me up like, like, <laughs> date like find this date to go and go find this nice magazine bike to go around the canyons she stood me up and it's like, oh man bummer and then we got got dating and, and you know, hey, we're going to go to the racetrack, you know, I'm going to get some two-seat rides, try to race some money. She said, okay, we'll go. Suited her up. Both my sisters went. And she, she, she thought we went around the oval at Fontana, but I mean, it was one of them rides where, like, straight out of the pits, me on the deck in turn three, champagne on the back sits. So, um, very supportive of my racing when I raced and, and uh, my career afterwards, but I haven't been on the back of the bike since, so maybe I should have. A few reporters doing some stuff, you know, um, art guys. I mean, I've been on a couple of two seat rides. I went on one with Scott Russell and one with Kyle Wyman to get a taste of my medicine. So I do know how it is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, now we're, we've gone, the program's evolved from just being a bunch of, you know, not scaring, but uh, giving uh, media you know, the, the A ticket ride of the gnarly ride so they can actually speak properly about our sport, which is, that was the, the foundation of that program. We started in 2001. It's morphed into a fan experience, media experience, fan experience, and then a fundraiser for the action fund. And the, the goal is we want to create fans. We want to give a once in a lifetime experience. Um, but we also want them to get off the bike and, and still like like the sport and like us. So, you know, if you're keen, you're keen. We go. If you're, um, you know, a little more apprehensive, then we'll build into the into the ride. But you're still going to be uh, going to do some wheelies and skids, you know, and you're going to definitely go fast when people are watching. So, so think about it like the NASCAR experience that they give to fans, uh, only fast, right? Yeah, faster with no cage. No cage. We have all the gear too for that for the. Yeah. Moto America stuff, right? It, we have uh, 30 sets of others, um, 30 helmets, all that stuff. So we have all the gear if you, uh, you want to go. And if you're worried about COVID stuff, we do sanitize it after every ride. So, um, of course, we're all, take, we're all worried about that, the, the flu, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
But the experience is awesome. I mean, I, I, I've brought friends who've done it. I've done it myself. If you if if you're a fan and you want to go on a roller coaster ride and you've never ridden a motorcycle or, or just ride them mildly, uh, it's a whole different world. And and if you're an advanced rider or a track rider and you want to really see how fast a bike can go in the right hands and the the G forces that that you should be able to experience, I mean, honestly, it, it's a great way to make a step forward in your riding. Yeah. Now that you guys are doing it at at, uh, at uh, Moto America, that's kind of awesome because you get to experience the tracks that you probably will never ride. Yeah, it's um, you know for the track day guy, right? And that fundraiser was so, so much fun because we go blown by some people with the passenger, and they come in, pay the donation, get on the back, learn a few things, and go back out on their own bike and, and go faster. So that was that was fun. And then yeah, the bucket, you know, it's kind of the bucket list deal at, at these races, at the Moto America races, because you can go out there and like the fans are there. You're, they're on the side of the track. We're doing this at lunchtime or we're doing the end of the day and they're still there. They're still watching. They're cheering, you know, doing the really thing and, and, and all that other stuff. So it's, uh, it's definitely, you get that kind of electric environment that you get at a live, live sports event. And, you know, it's especially more intense because you're on the back of the bike right behind. That's awesome. Okay, so we're talking about Moto America. What's, what's your prediction for this year? Uh, I think chaos. No. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go there next. <laughs> you, you don't want to say the G word. Um, I think the 600 class, or excuse me, the Super Sport class is gonna be pretty. I don't know. It's gonna be. I don't know. I say chaotic. I guess. I'm. I'm. I'm very curious to see how they're gonna regulate the. Um, do the balancing right i mean i'm part of the process right now because i'm actually i'm in, i'm homologating the uh, gsr 750 for that that category and so i'm we've designed the, the fiber excuse me the ride by wire bottles and we're doing all that other stuff that we need to do to get the thing homologated and submitting all that and so um we're also developing a next gen gsr 600 for that so i know what power that makes too so it's like uh, we're going to end up racing 750 when it, whenever it gets homologated but you know, man, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that's going to end up, right? And, and honestly, I, I'm uh, sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I'm a little bit apprehensive. Um, you know, Superbike, it's going to be, that's a tough class. It's a tough class to compete, you know? So we talk about the program that I run. Uh, I think the thing that's been missing the last few, <coughs> excuse me, um, last few talk about the pool, right? Um, yeah. Let me go get my mask hold off. Yeah. The, the, um, the Kong flu. The last few seasons, I think, you know, that, that super like stuff's been a pretty big eye opener for us. And um big thing that's that you gotta do with that, you know, no matter what your rider is or what level you think you are, you gotta test. And so uh, you know, we got a, a more extensive testing program for this winter, um, you know, preseason. So the guys aren't coming off the bike cold and testing a track that isn't isn't the most ideal. You know, obviously I left a few bikes in California just so we can have you know access to better tracks and better weather. So our riders will be announced pretty soon. So I think there's gonna be some surprises there, or maybe not some surprises. I don't know. I guess the internet knows everything. Um and uh you know it's gonna be that's a tough class, dude. You gotta race against Stamboli. Um you know, at attack, and you got to race, you know, the HSB guys or, you know, 
and um, buying Ducati stuff over there or whatever they're doing and, and um, bringing on Petrucci. And then uh, there's some nascent BMW teams that, uh, that are coming that are some alleged big names. So whatever, man, you know, we'll, uh, we got new crew, you know, we got some new crew guys. We've got some old crew guys. We've got some different riders and on our end, you know, if we execute well and we do what we need to do, we'll be competitive. And, um, yeah, so I think we saw big names, big names come and go, right? Yeah, over the it's years. Because you're a big, I mean, I think I think that the aspect of Petrucci coming, we'll talk about the big name that's super rumored. I mean, that guy's a badass. You know, he's a more of a badass than Boz. So, um, you know, Boz, everyone was, oh, Boz is going to come over and kick the shit out of everybody. He didn't want to race, you know, and and he finished fourth in the championship. So, and then he goes back over to you know, the World Superbike Championship and get some of the podium right away. So there, there's something to be said about being able to ride the, our, our spec tires and, and ride our tracks. And, I mean, like, you look at Jake Gagne, nobody on earth thought that he was going to do what he did this year, right? You look at what he did last year, uh, I mean, excuse me, in 2020, you know, before being Cam's teammate. And, you know, I mean, Cam was pretty dominant, right? But you look at what, what Gagne did, you know, it was like, oh, uh, that no one expected that, and and you know maybe Gagne did, you know, because he did the work, and, and you know those guys, but um, that was a surprise, you know. I, I'm, you know, uh, but yeah, he's the favorite, right? Because he's the guy um, on 17 races last year. So uh, I expect, you know, I expect Skulls to be there. I expect Cam Peterson to be there most of the weekends, and then uh, you know expect both my guys that are going to be there. Um, you know, I think, um, I mean, I will say we're bringing one guy as a rookie in, so he's going to have a big learning curve, but, um, the other one's, uh, you know, a North America champion. So, uh, I expect him to, to be up front. So, um, you know, on the super sport side, we've already, uh, you know, we've already announced that Sam Lockoff and, and, and Escalante there. So, um. I expect those guys to, to be at the front too. And we're taking them to the Daytona 200. So I expect them to be at the front at that race. So, uh, you know, we got a lot of, we got a lot of years, a lot of time in that, in that GSXR platform because it's, it's been, been around since 2011. So we find it, we find it. We know the window very well. We know the engine very well. And heck, I mean, even the cam, we just figured out how to use it. It was like, we're going through the old stuff we had and we found some new stuff. It's like, oh, bingo. That was good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was going to talk. Yeah, but, I was, was going to ask yeah. you about how how the GSXR is, is dealing with. I mean, I mean, I remember Tony Elias just winning everything on on the GSXR back when Josh was running it, uh, and then they made a change in the rear tire, and then he stopped winning, and then and then you guys got the bike along with Elias, and I heard he was just pulling out swing arms every every race weekend trying to figure out what's going on with the rear. So, so did you guys advance? Was it was it just his style that didn't fit the bike or the tire? Uh, what what kind of what kind of advances did you, you guys make since Elias? Geometry's a little bit different, you know. Tony Tony comes from Grand Prix, man. I'm like, look, you can't. We're gonna flat out full respect to Tony Elias, world champion, really great rider. Um, I'm not I'm not sure we got the best version of him. I mean, once he told me he was leaving the team at the end of 2020, he got his results got a lot better. I think it was kind of a 
relief and he started just gelling and getting going. So it was really nice to see because it was like, come on, you know, I know, I know you're better than this. We can, how do we, how do we get the best? And um, look, uh, Tony's setting was a bit different than most. Uh, very long, very low motorcycle because of where it came from. Um, you know, and that didn't really have a good swing arm slope on it and didn't create grip. And I mean, a big way, how do you create grip? You, you, you have pitch, you know, back and forth and front and back. Um, that creates grip, puts a little in the tire, creates grip. And, you know, it's when we raised the bike, he wasn't a super big fan of that. You know, we had a couple of different swing arm versions too that we, we made one ourselves. We had Suter make one and we had the, the factory one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a tough situation. I think coming from what the factory was uh, and where they put the, you know, put everything and, and then the changeover and all that, um, you know, we put the best crew that we, that we, that we had with that particular program, kept his electronics guy, you know, and maybe it, it was all his head, I don't know. But I mean, look, at the end of the year, he pulled his thumb out and he started started doing some great things. We had some races, had some polls, and and uh, you, you can't you can't diss his, his talent. You know, maybe it was just a situation that wasn't wasn't so great. But I mean, on the other hand, we had Bobby Fong in the, in the garage next door, and, you know, and he was uh, on finished on the podium winning races. And um, just getting on with the job. So um, the 21 was a little bit more difficult for us. We won one race with Cam in the wet, but uh, Bobby was kind of up and down. But I mean, look, we figured a couple of things out with the ECU uh, during a winter test in October, and a couple of things with the swing arm. So I have, we have two, two or three things to try now and, and move that forward. And uh, you know, we'll work on that. We'll work on some consistency and, and uh, get these guys on the bike more. So it's um, it's going to be the little things that 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 matter. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But look, I mean, if you're going back to like the racing part, right? You know, just because some dude from Italy's coming over, or you know, this guy or that guy or this brand of bike, you know, is supposed to do something, it doesn't mean when you actually the lights go out that's actually what's going to happen because i mean if that was the case then you could just save you know save a shitload of money and stay home and just talk shit on the internet so um yeah it's you never know you never know you know like in 2020 we had no idea that 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 zx6r in the hands of richie escalante was going to be as potent as it was against our bike with sean dylan kelly who was arguably the, the the favorite going in the season. We got our butts kicked all year, you know, and honestly, I don't think that that, that weight change, you know, that weight change maybe did a, a few things and we did lighten our bike the next year, but I mean, the race was close and there was no talent who was going to win week in, week out. It was just the guy that wanted it more or had the setting a little bit better or wasn't injured or, or, or whatever. So, and obviously when we show how much respect we got for Richie, we wouldn't hire him. So, um, it's, uh, like I said, you know, those are two scenarios where what was supposed to happen didn't because the guy that we thought was going to win in 20 didn't. And the guy we thought was going to win in 21 didn't. So it was like, you know, yeah. you just go back and you work your ass off and go race. So I mean, I'm sure we're going to see some surprises in that Superbike category. 
So and we're, I'm sure we're going to see some surprises in the super sport stuff too, you know, um, whoever did their homework and got their hand, a handle on it, the, the best. And has a little bit of luck, right? Yeah. Well, I would, I would draw your attention. Which bike dominated the uh, Jerez test for World Supersport? I don't know. MV? MV Agusta. <laughs> what, was, yep. it, was it a next gen or was it uh, open? Well, no, I think it's the current bike. They just put an 800 uh, engine in it. Yeah, but they got a, a solo ECU and they knock the throttles down and, and all this other stuff. But uh, it, it's different when the factory is running it, right? Because yeah, yeah, they'll they'll change an engine every round, right? So it, I don't it, know if there's engine limits, you know, but like there's uh, limits, and actually there's bigger limits. They're tighter for um, the the bigger engines. Yeah, the next gen stuff. It's like three point five engines every five races, or and, and the other guys are like two and a half. But they got the first and the fourth place. So Keenan Sofuoglu rode because the yeah. couldn't make it apparently. He had COVID. Um, and then you had um, who next? They didn't run Ducatis, unlike the US. They didn't run Ducatis yeah, in the test. I think that the mapping for the Ducati, the torque mapping over at uh, in Italy for that, that the place uh, was getting done first or second week of January for that. So I'm sure the maps aren't quite sorted out. I think the wirelings are, but the maps aren't. So um, that's coming. I don't even know. I don't even know where my, I don't know when the 750 engine's going on. Yeah, I know it's there. So and then I shipped it. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a process, you know, and I'm like, the, I think they got a handle on torque mapping part and, and how they're going to regulate it. But uh, you know, how it actually gets up applied and executed you know I'm, I'm uh i guess i'm very about it but we'll see i mean the more the deeper i get into this project the, the, uh I, you learn some you know you learn a few things and i know you know i know quite a bit generally from all that stuff but it was like just you know a lot of waiting around so. yeah so we're not sure Heron's going to win race one in Moto America. You never know. I'm Maybe like, the guy's running a thousand. Win. How can he not win? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you think about what's going on. It's uh, we've just gone back to like the, you know, early 2000s, you know, mid 90s uh, superbike rules. 750s versus 999. What it was 888, yeah. Ducati, 916, 955. Uh, what was the last, what was the displacement of the last Tesla Strata engine? It was, that was 955? 999. I think. 998? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 999. 998. Yeah, well, okay, the test, yeah, because uh, that was the 998, because that was. It, it's funny, all those races where you got all those, all those motorcycles that really don't belong on the track with each other. I mean, I, I saw the last round, uh, the Wera, the Wera round in, in Vegas, and it was Harley's against SV's 650s, and you would see the SV just goes by the Harley in the corner, and then the Harley just takes them, you know, in the straight, right? And you're looking at it, and you go like, okay, yeah, they both have two cylinders, but do they really belong on the track with each other? I mean, you're not measuring ability of riders. You're not even getting good racing here. You're just, you know, getting something that more suited to a track day. In, in this case, though, you have... 
you know, so you've always had like the V2 and you've always needed a, a displacement advantage to keep up with an M4 or, or a three cylinder. And so, um, in this case, at least you have the same style of motorcycle. So, uh, the V2 is, you know, what, what Ducati describes as like a super mid, right? So, it's uh, super mid. So, uh, I mean, generally, if you go off the rear wheel, right, it's a heavyweight now. Um, and you got, you got, uh, the leader class or the open class and, and, and whatever, but um, yeah, it's it's their replacement for the eight nine nine, right? And we have nine five five nine five nine, and then we just went straight to V two because obviously they're, they're phased out their their larger capacity, their larger displacement um, V twins. Um, you know, it kind of fits in that category of seven fifty. It fits in the category of the MV eight hundred because it's it's kind of like the old school heavyweight superbike type type deal you know like i said like it's thousand cc twins racing 750 cc uh inline fours so it's the 636 should fit in pretty well with that because like look you, you go back in the, the in history you have tommy hayden who won the 750 super sport race at daytona in 03 on a 636 i think so i might have been an 02 no it was 03 because we went to fontana i remember us getting I was riding for the Valvoline Suzuki team at the time, and I remember us getting hauled over the Suzuki. All of a sudden, guys, who got yelled at? <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't. I mean, hell, I got smoked. I crashed and broke all my ribs, you know. So I was just sitting in the back anyway. Um, but you know, that, that bike. I mean, we're, we're granted we're a few generations away from the particular bike that Tommy raced, but that bike's going to be there. So, uh, and then you look at what a R6 is capable of making and doing right with, with the velocity stacks and all of their stuff. And that's, that's a pretty potent bike. I mean, I, you know, the reason I chose 752 is because, I mean, I, I'd raced a, a grave spec R6 in um, World Super Sport trim, right? A 16, 17, 18, no, 16, 17 before I changed the rules. In 18, they went back to more super stock style rules, got rid of velocity stacks and imported heads. And, you know, I knew, I knew what that bike's capable of doing. I knew where we were. Um, although this, this go around, we've actually made the engine a bit stronger than that engine down the 600, but still it's, it's going to be a lot easier to get the power we need out of the 750 and then tone the thing back than it was going to be to build a 600 and be on the limit. So plus you get a little bit broader torque curve and you know, all that stuff with the 750. So I just, made more sense. Um, I think that the, the ups and downs of the homologation process, you know, and the information and all that, uh, it's been more difficult than I was sold. <laughs> more difficult than I was told. It, it, it's it going to bring back... job of selling that. But, but the, uh, the 750 is going to bring back memories. Yeah, it's a great engine, great yeah. bike. I mean, man, I race my bread and butter till they got rid of the class. So, um, and I, I think it's a strong bike for Suzuki too. Um, it's a shared platform with the 600. So it's uh, the chassis information we have is, is going to translate. So I'm not super worried about that. I'm just more getting our hands on the software and getting our hands on the ECU and, and going through, you know, how they, how the engine brake stuff works, how the, how the ride by wire is going to work. I mean, it's pretty trick, man. We, we built the ride by wire system for that. So I'm the, I'm the sole supplier. Team Hammer Inc. is the sole supplier for the ride by wire on that. 
I was going to ask you, where, where all the stuff's coming from? I mean, Suzuki, Japan, Yoshimura, Japan, Yoshimura, you Inc. So you're making everything? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Is it going to be on the it website? Can we, can we buy it? Uh, 750 stuff. I mean, the, the ECU and all that stuff is going to come from solo engineering and Boulder, Boulder Motorsports and Colorado is the, the dealer for that. So you have to get that because that's a spec dealer that comes from Italy. Uh, the early stages of this stuff, we're making the wire looms and figuring that out. And then, you know, we, we just, you know, commission the design and, and own, the, own the design for the 750 throttle bodies for the global deal. And we're homologating that and we're homologating the cams for that. I mean, if you want to, it's, it's, you know, it's not very well advertised yet because frankly, it's, it's very small in the, in the racing side of things and, and, the guys that need to get a hold of me that are trying, planning on going racing in Moto America are, are, have already got a hold of me. And once the, the list comes out, it'll be it'll be done. I mean, you know, it'd be great to be able to say offer that kind of package to a track day rider or something like that that has a 750 if they want to spend the money. But um, we got to walk before we crawl on that. You know, let's get the get the racing stuff sorted, get all the R and D done on it, and, and dialed in, and then then we can offer it to the public. So, for the sure. general public, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you gotta get the numbers. I think from from um, Yamaha because they have two versions of R6 that they're offering for track day riders and racers, and just gotta ask them how much are you selling, right? And you gotta yeah, figure it's out more. You know, I mean, the ECU stuff and all that. It's just we, we gotta develop that. You gotta get it, get a good package. I mean, the real reasons why people want to want to get that Suzuki 600 or the, or the stock 1000 is because it's winning. You get a turnkey bike, so it's um. You got to make sure if you're doing stuff and delivering this to customers that they, it's safe, which it is. And then, you know, beyond that, it's, there's no bullshit, right? You talk about your, your experience with your bike, having a, you know, buy a 25K bike and then having to spend all this money to develop it or, or get it to the point where you want it. Like, you can't have that. It's got to show up, ready to go, click the button. Okay, well, hey man, it's not steering. Okay, we'll just do this or do that, or you know, okay, we can just change the spring for your weight and have fun. So and good support but, too. Yeah, we we, we got to get, you know, like I said, that, that homologation is going to be a, a process, and, and you know, I'm optimistic we'll have bikes on the grid for Atlanta on that. If not, we we'll race six hundreds. You know, I know we're doing the two hundred on six hundreds. So, but they'll be competitive. Where, where's the 1,000 going with, with development? Are you, are you guys still, you still have seconds to, to get out of it? Or, or is it, is it kind of already developed and now it's adapting it to whatever rider you're going to put on the it? Stock, the stock bike is, you know, it kind of depends on the rider, right? Yeah. Um, there's a little bit to get out of it in the ECU. always, you know, the, the rules kind of dictate some of that other stuff. You know, in stock 1,000, you're only allowed to do so much. Um, but generally, you, what you get with that bike is a pretty well-rounded motorcycle that, that does a lot of things fine, good, right? Where other, other bikes maybe in that category do have a great engine, but the chassis is a little more difficult or, you know, sometimes or this bike has a very small setting window or whatever. That thing, it's, it's pretty broad setting window. Electronics work good enough. You know, engine's fast enough. It's just... And the guy can get on it and be comfortable and ride it, which if you're comfortable on a motorcycle, that's you know, nine tenths of the battle. You can do amazing things if you're comfortable. 
Did you talk to Suzuki maybe about uh, their participation in World Superbike and, and how you can help them go in there? No? No. That's their, that's the, that's their plan. I'm, I'm focused on North America, and, and um, that's what we're doing. We're going racing here. Uh, the World Super Sport stuff, yes, but it's, uh, uh, it's more like the teams contact me because I have to supply throttle bodies and ride wire stuff for, for next gen. But beyond that, uh, and they can globally too, but next, uh, beyond that, you know, it's kind of up to them. It's just support. And I, you know, um, yeah, we just happened to, I'd say we probably lucked into it or not lucked into it uh, with the guys that are racing the bike and a platform in the U.S. and where the guys that have been winning on it. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, let those guys know what they're doing. Let them, let them sort this out. Yeah, I know the reason that I bought the Chixer is, is because because it's a little long in the tooth, because it's very developed, because there's parts to it, because I know the engine's not going to blow up, because I know it's a proven platform capable of winning, even though I can't win as a rider, right? It's just track days and, you know, maybe a little bit light Wira, but uh, is our, would Suzuki keep you in the loop if something new is coming down the pipe? coming down the pipe with them so you can start developing it early um yeah i don't know depends depends on the situation you know um so uh, yeah i'm sure if it's coming we'll you know there'll be some discussion but otherwise uh more people that know you know more it becomes a liability so i'm not here to wreck anybody's plans or or you know, big surprise, and, and look, we send our information back, and we do what they need to do, and, and we're all professionals. So, um, and look, and on top of that, like a lot of people, are like, dude, there's a new Suzuki coming, or there's dude, there's a new Yamaha coming, a new Honda coming. Like, it's like it ain't real till it shows up. <laughs> and and just because it it's new, it doesn't mean it's faster, right? And yeah, and just because it's new, it doesn't mean it's better or what. I mean, it should be better, right? Because you have development, but like. It's like speculation about this rider's going here, this rider's going there. It ain't real to the contract sign. I'm not, I know it's, it is fun to speculate. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, dude, it ain't real. If it's, if it's real, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be here. Or, you know, and look, you got a, you got a business plan for building motorcycles and what are they going to amortize the cost of, a, of the unit, you know, going out however many years, however they, they work it nowadays. And um, they got to do what they got to do to to make money and, you know, and all that. So it's, yeah. Um, but that being said, I mean, like, when you look at the the R6 platform, really, the foundations of that motorcycle, you can talk about long on the two. 2009, right? 2008. Oh, six. Six. Yeah, that's right. I rode the first version of the thing in, in Qatar. Um, little stiff. They came out in 08 rode that version at Laguna and that one had a little bit softer chassis uh, in terms of, and see how good my memory is. It was the, it was the lateral. I think they lightened up the lateral, less than the lateral, a little bit of the, the vertical twist. The torsional stuff was okay. But it just made it more user friendly, basically. And then they have the, more or less carried that. They fixed the they fixed the white rotter cockpit on that thing in, in 08 too. So um, and then obviously we've got new 
I mean, when we get new body work, we got new body work in 17. Yeah, 17. And new fork. And new fuel tank. New fork. Yeah, different, different fork. Um, and that, that, that project was actually driven by the U.S., you know, in the shape of the tank and all that stuff, product plan in the U.S. So they got a pretty solid, from the magazine side, you look at it, they got a pretty solid uh, product planning group over it, over in Yamaha in the United States. So, um, yeah, so that was driven by that. And then, you know, you look at R1 came in 15, they had kept the same general engine and chassis architecture um, for the next one, but improved the crank, changed the angle of the injectors um, and a few other things. So, I mean, like, you know, R6 is, is still here. It's basically the 2006 version with some upgrades, more or less, you know, um, still a potent motorcycle. Uh, and then you got the Suzuki GSXR 600 that's more or less the same thing from, that is the same thing from 2011. Um, so, so basically the like Jixxer is the newest platform, right? From 2017? <laughs> I don't know, man. I can't remember when that, uh, I can't remember when that thing came out. With, uh, I can't remember when the um, ZX6 platform changed over. I just know, I mean, I did all the press launches for those other ones. <laughs> I did the ZX6 one too. 20, um, 2018, but, uh, I think. They just yeah, lowered. Okay. I did. I did that press launch too. That was at Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. They, so, they just lowered the price. I mean, all they did was lower lower the price. If under ten yeah, grand, yeah. I'll take it. You under, know what I mean? under ten grand, but they also made the thing meet uh, meet Euro four, pretty close to Euro four without rubber wire. Maybe it was Euro five without rubber wire. That was a pretty good task um, for that, and, and didn't really make the thing look that ugly. I mean, you look at all these new bikes now. They got these giant mufflers and these catalyzers. Catalytic converters because they got all got a meet zero five, so it's kind of the it, it, ugly exhaust pipes. It, it's kind of funny that uh, it, it wasn't. I mean, the R one wasn't selling for the longest time because there was no way to reflash it, right? And then and then someone found a way to flash it, and people started buying it again. But they really should sell motorcycles with with the kit already, you know, in a box saying, "Hey, if this is not street legal, it's going to avoid your warranty." But if you're taking it to the track. Here, here's the software, here's the way to flash it, here's the racing exhaust, right? Yeah, I, I, think. I think the Hannon software over the most guys, you know, I mean, they got that that pretty trick um, add-on, the YCT, YCCR, YCCR. Uh, whatever the data is, right? Um, not YCCT, uh, that's the Yamaha uh, that, control that's the, throttle. The, the throttle. And then we have the other stuff, but they have the, the data data acquisition system. Someone in the comments can bag on me for that. Not, not, uh, not remembering that one, but and they got some cool add-ons. But generally, I think that flashing ECUs and stuff like that is you got to have someone that really knows what they're doing, otherwise it could lead to you know some pretty big disaster. So I think they did sell uh, an aftermarket kit that turned off like the, the the headlights and all that stuff that you plugged in a, a few years ago, but I can't remember. I have to go read read the story again because there's been so many. And you even look at the Hayabusa. Like the Hayabusa, last time I did that press launch was 07, and then they just reintroduced, reintroduced introduced it again with ride-by-wire and Euro 5 compliant and all that stuff. Same chassis and engine architecture. Less power. Just, just like, well, less power, but more usable power. Right. You look at that, right? Um, slightly. And, but that's all Euro 5 stuff. It helped, man. When you got 1,340 cc's, do you, you always need more, but like, do you really need more? Yes. 
you can still man no, not, not if you hear the not if you hear the speed at which the kawasaki went uh, h2 with uh tony elias on the front straight in fontana yeah it was 200 something right yeah, yeah. something like 2217 or 207 he's so, he's, so too, he's, he's too small i know he, he's like a million dollars worth of titanium he is aerodynamic <laughs> yeah so you get to uh you get to test bikes before we can even see pictures of them for the most part and you go to all the presses so some anecdotes or what you know kind of bikes you like for what purpose and the ones you've tested recently like what's a good track bike what's a good road bike what's you know what's a good platform um you know generally like look you can't can't really knock the fit and finish and and uh, of japanese motorcycles right because they're they're all generally okay these things they're sometimes they're not the most exciting but look you're going to be able to put the thing on it's going to run it's going to run for a very long time um you know so um but like shit, i've run actually i haven't run the m yet on the bmw but uh every version before that and and their world super bike rate bike and some other stuff um that's pretty solid right the bmw but it's a bit of a weapon um the gsrs are are all like it's funny because i've ridden the first gsxr 1000 that came out in the one that was like my second press launch uh and to now and they all have the same general feel which is kind of amazing actually uh even though like because the chassis designs changed and but it's the same like sensations that uh, the Suzuki gives you. Nice rounded chassis and all that. So um, pretty solid platform. I, I think, so you look at the, the riding part of, of everything and um, so we'll, we'll look at it a little bit as a coach, right? So from, from Chris the coach, um, USMCA certified coach, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, Yay! I know it's good. Yeah, that's another labor. That's another labor of love, right? That's uh, uh, I've been volunteering with the USMCA, United States Motorcycle Coaching Association, since 2016. It goes, you know, and to, to improve coaching, to, to create a better network of coaching. But anyway, that the uh, more volunteerism. Um, oh, that's a, that's a great thing because I, I remember uh, we were going in a direction where everybody had a, was a, becoming a coach. And that was getting to be pretty dangerous. I mean, if, if, if you went to two track days, all of a sudden you were a coach and you were having people coming and training with you. And I'm like, I don't think you're qualified. Yeah, yeah. no, you gotta, you gotta have some solid fundamentals. Um, so I'd say like on the, on the bike choice, right? You know, you got a couple of ways you, you look at your bikes, you know? So obviously like Nabil, you're an MV fan. You like that MV, you like looking at it, you like riding it, okay? For, for whatever it is. And that's kind of like your bike. And then you got Gal who, you know, went and bought an Aprilia because he thought it was going to be badass. Two, two Aprilias, actually. Two Aprilias. And then, okay, went, oh, this isn't very much fun. I'm going to go back on a Suzuki. So it's, it kind of comes down to a few different things, right? How often you ride, your skill level, you know, whatever, what you really like. Okay. And, you know, and I think like what you, what's going to make you like stare at it in the garage and go, I'm going to load that bike up on Go Racetrack because that's badass. I kind of do the same thing with bicycles. Um, right. and, uh, but 
generally, I think that the category that a lot of people and for the skill set need, need to take a very strong look at is that middleweight category or the middleweight twin category, because those are motorcycles that, that the average guy that sits at his desk too long, doesn't train, doesn't do anything, can get on the motorcycle, hit the button, and ride it most of the day, and it doesn't explode their head. And on top of that, they're not tired in three laps. So, um, which that isn't like, that's like the, the more, I feel like more common sense deal, right? More common sense recommendation for, for most guys. Um, I'd say if you're a beginner um, coming new to motorcycling, uh, that 400 to, to middleweight twin category is ideal too, because it's, those are motorcycles that are fast enough to get you out of trouble or, in, you know, but not, not a, a massive weapon like a, like a V4 or a V4, you know, um, V4S or something like that, where it's, I mean, that V4S is a weapon. I mean, so, um, weapon of a motorcycle. Um, you know, so yeah, it's kind of those two categories, right? Because you can ride the motorcycle, it's not going to make your head explode. But then obviously you have some displacement as your, as your skill set grows and you think you have some displacement improvement. But you kind of look at the at what's been happening lately with some of the more, uh, you know, higher displacement, you know, a thousand CC bikes or that uh, open class category. Um, the latest versions of the, of the Ducati, you, you've seen a thing come from a, at least a V4 version of Ducati. You've seen on the S side and the, and the standard, you've seen it go from being a very, very aggressive motorcycle to now, okay, we have, you know, first gear and second gear and third gear have been, have been reduced. And, and all the material we're talking about that is because, well, when we, when we gave this motorcycle to a, a rider that's not Alessandro Valia, then they were able to go around the racetrack quicker than, than, they, than otherwise, whereas the first versions, while the bikes, you know, super high, you know, super high end, but the first versions were too aggressive for the most of their customer base. So, um, and then you have that stuff on like thousands and, and you know, you have trash control and different modes on, on most thousands that can, that can tame the power, which I think is a really great thing because you, you, you can back everything down for riding on the street and then, even right on the racetrack. So you got to have that option, but you still have the, the massive gyro gyroscopic effect of the crank and, and the engine weight and, and all those forces when you do come to the racetrack. So it tends to tire you out a little bit more. So um, I don't know, I guess it's long convoluted way. I guess um, I'd definitely say that beginners should stay away from thousands until they get some experience and they can upgrade. Um, definitely, you know, through the mid range, right? You know, the middleweight to the to the entry level of the 400 or stuff something like that but then beyond that once you get some experience you think you can handle it get what you want just uh check your ego enough to be able to turn the turn the tc up <laughs> and turn the power down so um and get some training too i mean the training training part's really important to all that to to, to the retention that's one of the things i really like about you know going to fast track because the mod recognizes that um the training part is is the real true key. High end training and real training, like substantial training, not some dude in the best telling you you're doing it wrong. I'm talking about real training, um, is the key to customer retention and customer, you know, bringing new customers in and then retaining those customers for long term. Because you know you have more education and how to ride your motorcycle, 
uh, you'll make better choices on the racetrack, you crash less, you know, blah, 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 all, all, all the great, all the great things that come with that. So, yeah, you, you, yeah, don't, you, um, don't, you don't end up like, uh, you know, like a lot of my friends that have motorcycle stories, but they're not riding anymore because yeah. they got injured. But going back to the actual of Ahmad's, I think the funnest thing I've ridden on the track lately was that KTM RC8C. Did that at Horizon? I'm going to ask you was, about that. Yeah, that was fun. That was the Kramer. So Kramer built that thing. Um, the Kramer built the chassis and, and assembles those things, and they got a, eight, a KTM 890 Duke um, engine. So um, that was fun. That, it reminded me of a GP bike. I was I was pretty pumped about that. You know, I, I raced two 250s back in the day. I mean, it is a four-stroke, so it's not actually a GP bike. But like, well, I guess modern GP bikes are all four-strokes, but um, a two-stroke Grand Prix bike. Um, but uh, yeah, it was fun. Not so fast that it blew your mind, but like just the right balance of power and, and handling and weight, and but it was a lot of fun. Man, two strokes were fun. Yeah. No engine braking. And... Yeah. Can you? That's cool. I'm sorry. You, you wanted to say something? Well, I was going to just, I mean, we, we've been taking a lot of Chris's time already, and um, I was just going to maybe talk for a couple of minutes about his thoughts on MotoGP this year, and then we should probably sign off in a bit. Can, can I Can I? do my question? Can I do my question, then we'll do yours, and then we'll finish? Go for it. All right. So, uh, Road Racing World <clears throat> uh, was one of the first magazines that I saw that... Uh, when I was I was taking the WSMC course, they just you know put put the magazine on the table and said you know that's that's the magazine you want to write and you want to read. Um, what are your plans? I mean, I see a lot of I see a lot of, a lot of YouTubers that shouldn't shouldn't really you know give their opinion about motorcycles, um, and and a lot of um, influencers you know air quote influencers that that really don't you know they don't have the level of, of writing that, that you guys do in the magazine uh, and, and they get a ton of views and a ton of a ton of people following them just because they're utilizing social media and and they know how to navigate the digital world. So what are you, what are you guys' plans as, as a magazine that, that was always on print and now you got a website? You, you had a website for a while. What are your uh, plans to go ahead and capitalize on, you know, on, on the new social media age to, yeah, to uh, figure out sales. I mean, that's, that's a tough gig, right? Uh, I need to hire a consultant. Um, I mean, not a consultant, someone knows what they're doing. Um, you know, look, we're trying to push out as much stuff as we can that, that drives people back to our website, you know, through our social media channels. That's the main main goal is to drive people back to roadracingworld.com. Um, in terms of the video stuff, uh, most of the videos on there are me. So either onboard lab or jibber jabbering. Uh, we need to work on, um, I mean, for sure, I need to work on the videos a bit myself, right? Because it's, you know, I was always a print guy and it's like, oh shit, Chris, you got to do a video. And uh, I'd say probably figuring out the balance between, um, you know, authentic trying to be as authentic as you can without absolutely pissing everybody off. Um, right. I, I guess is, is, you know, I don't know if that's the best way to put that. Right. But, uh, 
you know, just working on a, being authentic about it. But yeah, I have a lot of education and, you know, some of those influencers that do arrive at, at press launches because we've seen them are useless. Um, I mean, okay, they're, uh, they lack the skills and experience to actually evaluate the bike, but they get a lot of views. But how many guys, you know, that are going to purchase the motorcycle are, are within that realm? Um, you know, I, I think that that what one good thing that has, has happened with the with the advent of influencers is people have kind of gotten sick of listening to them, so they've gone back to guys that they believe are experts and have that high end high end knowledge. And that's what we do provide. Um, you know, especially, I mean, you know, I've ridden super bikes and raced super bikes and developed electronics and understand, you know, better than most about how, how all this stuff works. And I'm still, you know, still learning, you know, I mean, even that, that super bike project that we have, right, we're running some pretty sophisticated stuff in terms of the ECU and, and um, it's still education. You know, now I rode the bike and see, you know, I rode the bike in November 20, you know, and, and just to see how it was. And learned learned a few things about how that's doing that, and then you understand what's going on in the background um, beyond that. So I don't know. It's a tough question. Um, the uh, we got three dudes on staff, actually two and a half, because <laughs> I'm, I'm half because the rest of my time is is spent running the race team. You know, one of my father and David Schwartz uh, handled editorial stuff, and then we got Gude just making Gude just doing some stuff. So I think um, you know one is is to uh, stick to what we're good at, right? Which is, you know, some pretty ripping fast on boards and, and creating that content that people like to watch. And then second is, uh, you know, try to be as authentic as they can and, and maybe stand in front of the mirror and talk some shit for a while and and, and uh, get everything a little smoother, right? You know, so there's a lot of competition in that space. So, um, you know, I got to spend the time to really figure out what's going on. But right now, like our bread and butter is, is print. And we're going to continue to print and there's still room for us in that space uh, as print but um you know there's all sorts of things we could do to complement that so but for sure what we're going to try to make sure we're doing is is you know riding these bikes as fast as we can and evaluating them and, and providing the, the in-depth technical analysis that that you you know that, that people are looking for yeah I mean, I mean there's for for the longest time there was a problem with honesty and and uh in journalism, right? There still is, but not yeah. in motorcycle journalism. It's it's just that people everywhere would everywhere else except motorcycling. Yeah, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere else except yeah. motorcycling. <laughs> that that people would just you know you need you need sponsorships, so you, you're gonna say good things about the motorcycle, and then the next generation comes up, and all of a sudden the old motorcycles was you know it wasn't good anymore, and and the new one solves all the problems that you know the old one all of a sudden has, right? And and people don't know who to believe and who speaks the truth anymore. It, it's not just in motorcycles. So yeah. I, I think you guys were always super honest with, with yeah. someone. And, and, and if the motorcycle wasn't performing well, you're, you're the first ones to say it. Yeah. We've, um, we've had a few meetings <laughs> about, <laughs> about stuff like that, you know? So, um, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, you gotta, you lose credibility if you're not, if you're not laying it out there and, and yeah, you know, not every bike is perfect. And, you know, sometimes bikes are, uh, you know, you can say made it. different, different guys, you know, different, yeah. different, uh, different demographics or whatever. Right. But I mean, like if you didn't really want that, 
that flaw brought out, you probably shouldn't have had a, a track press launch. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. So, um, you know, we're trying our best. You know, it's a family run. Both, both these organizations are like the team is family run. It's founded in 1980 and then the magazine was founded in 1990. So by my father, um, that's a, that's a whole other story. So family run operations and, and, uh, you know, we're trying to make sure we adapt best we can with the times. So sometimes the, there's a bit of a lag, especially on the magazine side, but the, the race team side, we're pushing along and uh, doing what we need to do. Well, I think what you need to do is learn a few dance moves and get on TikTok. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> another social media platform. I don't know how many there are, man. Do, like, you know, do you know TikTok passed Google in, in uh, views? No. Yeah, Google's no longer number one website on the world, in the world, it's TikTok. I'm a, you know, actually, dude, my kid started a YouTube channel the other day with his buddies jumping his thing, and a couple of his videos got more views than some of the videos I did. And it was like, I'm fired. You should edit my videos. Look, you're talking to the guy. I was, I was one of the original software engineers that built Break.com, if you remember that website. And oh. it had, uh, it, it just had funny videos, 2005, 2006, 2007. Yeah. And we got 12 million unique a day just looking at those videos, right? So I kind of know <laughs> what's going to be, you know, what's going to, what's going to my next video. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk after this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I mean, I was just looking. Uh, sorry, let cut you off. I mean, half the time, it's like, I look at the video and oh, man, I look like an idiot. I got to put that video out. I actually have three videos in the queue right now that I'm like, all right, dude, I just got to do it. I mean, they make sense. They're great. Right. But Mr. Personality is, is the guy. And you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the problem is like, we're having a good conversation here and we're talking, you know, and I'm pretty relaxed and chilling out. And then like I go on the YouTube thing to be Mr. Presenter guy. And it's just like, burp, 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 burp. come on, man. You know, so <laughs> the struggles, like, uh, the struggles there. It's, uh, did you count how many times you say, mm, mm, yeah, mm. Uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> you, you know, know is the, the, the big word yeah. for me. Um, but I, you know, like I get in this conversation, this, this, this uh, environment, talking to the deal, talking to you and we're just shooting the shit about motorcycle stuff. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, you see, you know, uh, yeah, we're good. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit different. So probably be, uh, be a bit more relaxed. I mean, I got a pretty dry sense of humor on top of that. So it, that, that has a tendency to, up some people the wrong way and uh, you made you made my girlfriend laugh you made my girlfriend laugh the other day we're we're on the couch watching videos of you just trying to prepare for the interview and you start talking about uh pumping the back shock i, I forgot which channel it was uh, on the throttle i think and, yeah. and you said you know in on a road bike uh you know whoever's on the back she could be she could be thin she could be fat depending on your yeah. flavor <laughs> My girlfriend just starts cracking up. It's, it's got to be from 2009. Yeah, when you put that that Yosh uh, yeah. uh, linkage. Turned, it turned out we just had the them. ride height. You know, we were, there was a new bike, and we were going through the range of stuff, and we had the ride height so freaking tall. We had to lower the thing, get it get it to like that, which is more or less the way every Suzuki likes to be, is a little bit lower in the back, a little bit higher in the front. Magic. But anyway, yeah, that was causing my problem. Yeah, so so your problem, your problem in front of the camera. There's uh, there's companies that are actually going to teach you. If you ever been to um, 
software launch, one of the big companies, Twilio or Apple, uh, their CEOs, they spent three weeks just getting coached how to be on camera and how to deliver that speech, right? So you might want to do that, maybe Toastmasters. Um, they, they have Those. online groups. Yeah, yeah those Mr. Personality is coming out. <laughs> or, or just well, we've kept it PG so far, so I'm very impressed. What's that? PG? We've kept it PG so far, so very uh, impressed. I've said the S word a few times. I know F words. So, yeah, we're going it's, it's the internet. We can say whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, the Bills hung out with me plenty of time at the racetrack, so I think every other word. Yeah. Bill, you had a question. You had, a, you had that last question. MotoGP. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what's everybody's mind? Who's gonna win MotoGP this year, according to you? I need to uh, do my uh, little years. Okay, so um, obviously not Valentino Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, sh you should you man. should offer him you should offer him to be a wild card over here one round. Man, it costs too much money. Um, man, look, there's a couple of guys you can't really count out, right? So if you look at if if Marquez is healthy, which is wrist or shoulder, I guess it was his, if his arm is is good, right, and his shoulders are good, and his eye is healed. So if he's a healthy guy, pretty hard to count him out because I mean, look at the track record. You know, ups and downs. You know, even even when he was injured, he still managed to win a few races last year before he. Um, yeah. Uh, so he's he's hard to bet on. You know, hard to bet against. Um, definitely how the eye I think you know the eye injury affected him too. I mean, because that eye thing is that's pretty it's pretty important. And, and like say when you have a concussion, a gnarly concussion like that, that it ends up the processor right. Your brain can't keep up fast enough it's not operating fast enough so you end up getting really tired when you try to come back too early from a, from a concussion in, in a lot of times so um you know as long as he's fully healed from that and his you know fitness is good then he's going to be a weapon uh i think bagnaya is going to be quite quick um hoping that mir you know mir does something something pretty gnarly and wins finally mojo but you know whatever and then you can't really count out like the two ktm guys but they're a little inconsistent so i think the guys that are probably going to be the most consistent are going to be quattro um depending on if yamaha made some improvements quattro bagnaya and and marquez and then beyond that you know it's kind of like maybe you'll get a you know throwing a, a rip and ride from Oliveira or a rip and ride from bender or something like that um i don't know miller's probably gonna be there thereabouts but you watch him and he's you watch the nuts and bolts of like of miller like from trackside and see he's not very precise um in terms of his bike placement and consistency and so i think uh you know that has uh compared to some of the other guys and so i think that has can be problematic um i just remember watching turn one at, at Valencia a few years ago, trackside, you know, standing there watching Miller go through, and he was, you know, a couple of feet off the off the curb compared to what the other guys needed to do, and he was pretty inconsistent about where he actually was. So, um, anyway, if you can clean that up, that'll be good. But I mean, he, he rips, but um, definitely got a set of balls on him. 
Um, I don't expect Vlitsiosa to do much. Uh, maybe more Bedelli if he's healthy, but the three, the top three guys are going to probably be Marquez, Bagnaya, and, and Quadraro. And it all depends on where Quadraro's head is uh, and, and motivated after winning that world championship and then seeing what Yamaha can do with the bike. And Moto2, let's go to Moto2. Sean Dillon Kelly and Cambobier won two every week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one, one can hope and dream. Oh, you know, actually, Sean Dillon Kelly, Cambobier, and Joe Roberts. Coincidentally, two of those guys, Joe Roberts and Sean Dillon Kelly, you know, both rode for Team Hammer Inc. and won races for Team Hammer Inc. Yeah, played a uh, significant role in their early careers. So, um, OBA. It's funny because we were actually trying to hire Bobia between 11 and 12 to ride the 600. And we were talking to him, but we were waiting around for Martin Cardenas because we felt like we owed Martin. And, uh, you know, talking to him, talking to him. And uh, this is when we had the guy called Suzuki Gill. And, and Bobia's dad, Jeff, followed, followed my dad and was like, hey, look, you know, we got this offer from Yamaha. Uh, you know, we'll since you've been, you called us first and we were talking to us, then we wanted to tell you, you know, and be respectful and just, you know, give you the, and my dad was like, okay, you got the Yamaha offer, you can get in your van and drive down to, to Cyprus and go sign that deal. We'll figure it out. Um, you know, worked out pretty well for him. So, um, I mean, we still won. We, we beat him in a championship that year. So I guess short-term gain, long-term loss. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Um, he's done a great career. So, uh, you know, didn't, didn't actually get to, to, to work directly with him, but I'm, I'm a big fan of Cam. So, but for sure, I, I, I would, uh, I think Sean's going to do, do well. He's got a very high work ethic. Um, good talent, you know, not sure he's the most talented guy, but definitely a high level of talent, but if he lacks any talent, he, he works, works hard. Like, dude, like studies at home, his fitness is really good. You know, well-rounded fitness program, well-rounded mental program. You, you know, I think he's in a good, good position. Um, uh, very coachable too. That's a, that's a big key for everything. Um, Joe, if uh, Joe wakes up on the right side of the bed, everything works good for him and it, and it, and it uh, goes the way that he believes it should go, he's going to be very, very good. So. Wow, you're telling us the exact same things that Josh Hayes told us in a different way. Yeah. I think Cam, I mean, Cam's second year with him, you know, they figured some things out. Crew chief last year figured some things out, you know, some other stuff. It'll be good. Yeah. Do you have any 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 up, upcoming talent down the pipe that you keep your eye on? Yeah, um, I mean Sam Lockoff's good. Um, you know, won a race last year. A lot of people had said to us, "Hey, you know, you know he's going to finish whatever, right?" And we had a goal of top ten, and he, and he won a race. So on the podium, I can't remember how many. Um, Tyler Scott's quite good, U.S. kid. So. Um, I think there's some other sleepers, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the big problem is that, that uh, in the U.S., 
is I think that they, a lot of the parents go, okay, well, I have to go to Europe to make my kid, to allow my kid to have a career. Well, Tyler Scott went there, did Rebel Rookies, you know, went to Spain and then came back to the U.S. and went in here. Sean Dillon Kelly did the same thing. He went to Spain, he went to Rebel Rookies, did three seasons, spent tons of money, right? Had to come back to have a career. Came here, made money, turned around, worked on his, you know, I mean, like, it's not like you come to our program and it's like, oh, we have a good bike. It's like, hey, bud, hey, you're doing good here. You need to work on this, this, and this on your fitness. Okay, well, here's your data acquisition. Here's your data acquisition compared to your teammate that's a lot faster. Here's how you use the data acquisition. This is how we're going to do this. Oh, this is what this setting feels like. And so when you come to our program, you may be pretty new and have some talent. You're going to leave our program a better rider, more well-rounded, more, you know, better education. Um, and you're going to be prepared to the next step of the career, right? So if Sean didn't go to the American racing team, right, to go Moto2, we would have had a contract on the table for him to race a Superbike, flat out. And that was the plan, that was the goal, okay? Um, but I think that he needs to go to GP, and, and I think he can do well in GP. And if he does well, then he can go, maybe potentially go on a MotoGP, depending on, you know, results. Um, but I, I think it's a big, there's a something to be said to be able to get yourself into a program and get the education you need to then, you know, go to the next step. I don't know how many teams in the paddock actually have a, a decent ladder system. And we, we had Twins Cup, right, which that, that program went away after 20. You know, it's just, it's just it's a bandwidth situation. But I mean, I'm sure if we had somebody we really wanted to work with, we could, we could fire the thing back up. We got competitive engines, you know, um, in a bike. But, um, it's it's the educational part and and then on top of that you know sometimes dads have a tendency to, to to run their program parents have a tendency to run a program and it's a lot different than when you're taking taking orders from your dad as opposed to taking orders from a third party that's that's properly accountable you know that you're properly accountable to and even even the same thing with my son like i have a great story about we were riding uh minis down at josh's house one day and i bring him down just you know because I'm going to ride a little bit and, and then when we're taking a break, we send him out and have some fun. And, and he's riding and, and I'm like, Hey man, you got to use the rear brake. And he just like, looks at me like, I'll be here. And then next lap around, Josh stops and goes, Hey boy, you need to use the rear brake. Next corner, he was on the rear brake. And, you know, so it's, well, I have a great relationship with my son, but it's like, Come on, Dad. I know I don't bikes. Dude, I'm five. Whatever. And uh, actually, a funny story about that. I mean, Joe and and Kyle Crushlo and Josh and Mel were all down there one day, riding and, and you know I brought Van down there and we're riding 100s and beating the crap out of each other. And I, you know I had a decent decent motorcycle racing for 23 years. Won won a few AMA nationals, had some podiums, won some endurance championships. You know, general, right? We get done with that day. These, these days on this, these 125s, right? And running into, you know, Grand Prix guys and Josh and racing all these guys. We get done. Like, Danny, you're pretty good. Thanks, bud. <laughs> I took Torpedo and Kyle Crush on a TTR 125. It's like, you didn't figure that out from my TV? Anyway, um, 
the, the point of that long-winded answer was that like sometimes when you go racing with your dad you know it's a different story um i mean i, I did go racing with my dad but the, our relationship was was i'd been around the races long enough that i could and our relationship was was such that it was like okay i understand what he's what he's trying to tell me and, and also he was a pretty hands-off racing dad he was more like he'd seen the, the crazy racing dads like oh, look, dude, i'll support you in the background I ain't going to coach you, you know, and I can tell you that's true because I had every single, I went to every single school that was out there and all the riders for his team, you know, if all struggling, he'd grab some riders from the team and say, Hey, we'll help Chris. Um, and so, um, but some dads are pretty overbearing and it can be difficult and hard on the relationship. So getting in a program like this, we can kind of push the dad aside. Hey man, go, go watch him. Right. You can be in the pits, you do whatever, go chill out. We, we got it. And then we can take them to the next level on that, but provide a pretty well-rounded education and, and prepare them. Like, you know, I think we're going to see that, that Sean's, Sean's jump into Moto2 is going to be uh, a lot less drama than most because of the education he got over here in the United States. So, I mean, granted, the Italians and the Spanish and all that have a big, uh, you know, big, big programs like that. And in fact, I mean, I think that, they just raised the, the age limit, you know, all that, all that hoo-ha about the, the age limit going up to world championship races. And I can't remember the, I have to look at the actual world, right? But oh, oh, yeah. know, who, who, requiring these guys to be 16 and some of these yeah. junior categories, be, you know, raise the, raise the age, yeah. you know, some, some people were, were a little bit disappointed about that, but if you actually look at it nuts and bolts, it's going to help America the most because it, it, it takes away the advantage the, the European countries have over us in terms of in terms of a farm team and a farm program. So it limits them. And actually it yeah. it it falls in line for what America's actually actually doing right now. So yeah. I see that as a good as a good thing for the United States. Uh, and, and globally too. I mean, because I don't think like, man, I, I know I was racing 125s when I was 16 years old, but um I I think that I think their biggest advantage is they're racing in their backyard, right? It's it's like us yeah. us, us racing in Fontana, right? You, you you take a 16-year-old Italian kid against our guys in Fontana, it doesn't stand a, stand a chance, right? So it, it's the same thing there. I mean, they've been racing on, the, on those tracks all their lives. Yeah, but they also have a fear advantage, you know, jump jump start, right? So they yeah. have they have a couple at least at least two or three seasons where they're on that higher higher displacement motorcycle because they can be you know and then and then our kids get on those things and we go you know so now that takes that advantage away so um and i think that's good too i mean i think that the age age correct um age and skill set um correct uh displacement is is important right i think that you know so i i I raced 50s and 80s when I was 13 and 14. And then if I was big enough and, and could figure it out right, I got to kind of taste the 125 as 14, but then I didn't get to go racing proper against national guys until I was 16 years old um, in a really high, high competition situation. So I think that kind of progression is is good. You know, it's not, it's, it's you know, Especially like if you know if you got kids, you can see the age difference and the maturity level between a, a 
12 year old version of my son, a 13 year old version of my son. And I'm sure as he goes to 14, 15, you know, there's, a, there's a big difference in, in that. Um, even my daughter and stuff. And so you see in youth sports too, you know, you play, you play against this kid or that kid. At whatever age they are, it's, it's, it's pretty gnarly. Um, but it, it's just, there's a different, different mindset at this age than that age. And reality and life experiences come in. It's like, oh shit, I can actually get killed doing this or maimed. You know, it's like, okay, maybe I'm not going to put that guy in the dirt. I mean, some, some people. I was going to ask you. I mean, I mean, your your career is it's just a string of freak injuries, right? Shoulders and everything else. Yeah. And what's your plan of keeping your kids and the next generation a little a little safer? Uh, I mean, I think we have some big big technology technological advances right now. You got the airbag suits. Those things are badass. Like, I mean, if I had an airbag suit back in two thousand one when I blew my shoulder up, when I, when I first started my shoulder injury problem. Um, maybe that wouldn't have been the case. I mean, I'm missing half my collarbone, but like I did it to myself, crashing motorcycles. And I was, you look at some of this stuff, you kind of look at, you know, the fun part about being a team manager guy too, and, and being journalist and kind of looking through careers and get to work intimately with different riders. You got a guy like Valentin the Beast, who he hit the ground, he hit the ground hard, and he got hurt. You know, that thing at Daytona you know, a concussion broke him back and again, another concussion and, and had some, you know, when he would hit the ground, whatever the way his body is, he, he, he have some, some type of injury. And I was the same. I, I hit the ground, I screw something up and it doesn't matter if I did yoga or muscle stuff or whatever. I splattered, I'd splatter. Um, Bobby Fong, you could launch that guy wherever he bounce, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I'm good. Well, that hurt. Can I have some more agile? Okay, I'm good. I'm ready to go. And um, it's kind of luck of the draw, man. And some guys you see, they can just, like Steve Rapp was one of those guys. Rapp, dude, he could crash some stuff. Get up. Wow. All right, I'm ready to go. And I'd do the same crash and just be like, oh, I'm done, done for like uh, three races, I think, if I broke, broke my collarbone again or smashed my head or whatever it was. So. You know, maybe it's um, body type or whatever. I don't know. Body type, luck, uh, genetics. Some guys crash really well. Some guys don't. So I was not a guy that crashed well. Hmm. Yeah. So, but again, fitness, flexibility. Yeah. You can whatever body type you have, you can help yourself, right? That was yeah, a big art. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of right, fitness, so. speaking of fitness, Nabil, what's going on with the push-ups? <laughs> I've done one already. What? It's not even to go. <laughs> so, so to everybody that listens, when we approached Chris, Chris said, yeah, I'll do the podcast if Nabil does 50 push-ups. So I'll, I, I said, let's let's do it on the air. But this uh, is, we'll just the, post them. I'll, I'll do 50. I'll, I'll do, do 50, 50 too. I, I, I just and, uh, did. I did. I'll send you the video. Yeah, I did, I did chest on friday the gym so it's a little sore so i'll do 50. You all right get a, i'd say uh, i mean uh, if you need a warm-up then i mean if you're gonna go full turkey that's fine but if you need a warm-up you got 10 10 warm-ups and then then you can count your 50 straight <laughs> nah <laughs> right, man i'm not even sure i can do 50 straight right now i, mean, I need a month of warming up here fine <laughs> 
100, however you get them, right? Send 10 by 10, five at a time, who cares? Just get them. Wait, I thought we we're going to do them now. Oh, I don't know. No? Do them now? They're really here. Huh? You can't really hear them for the people listening. Uh, you can describe. I'll, I'll, film, I'll film my 50 and I'll send it to you guys for your, uh, All right. for your socials. I'll tag you. I'll post them in my Do the same. It's the deal. <laughs> we'll post it. Yeah. Right. Bunch of old dudes trying not to do push ups. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, look, man, that's good. It's good for you. <laughs> push ups, you know, if you're going to talk about an efficient exercise for going to ride a motorcycle, I believe a push up is very, very efficient. It's good. It's all around. Gets your core, gets a little tiny bit of your legs, gets your arms. It's a, it's a good, good, solid exercise for going, going to ride a bike. Now, when you do the push up, do you dangle the leg also? <laughs> no, I'm just, I have one of my arms is shorter than the other, and I'm missing a collarbone, so my form sucks. But, uh, whatever way I get them done is how I get them done. Man, what is up with that leg dangle? Does it really help? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think um, some of the stuff, right? You, you actually, someone had a really good explanation of that, but I mean, more or less, it, it gives you another avenue. Um, to control the way your body position is, your weight is positioned, right? So you, you put it out by the front of the axle, you know, kind of helps calm the bike down a little bit. But I mean, I wasn't a lane dangle guy, you know? I mean, if sometimes if I get it hot, I'll hang the thing, you know, sort of come off the peg and I'll hang it out. But like, I'm not, you know, some guys do it for for go, some guys do it for show. But look, if it works for you, that's cool. But you know, if you're not in the Moto GP paddock, then it's your bike in Moto America, probably ain't helping you. Yeah, I always thought it was Rossi trying to psych out everyone, and and they're all following. Like, remember uh, when Dewan couldn't move his leg and he and he put the thumb brake, and all of a sudden everybody yeah. put a thumb brake and like, wait a minute, it's it's the guy can't move his foot. That's that's what's going on here, but nobody cares. Yeah, he's going fast. I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah, you know, like whatever, whatever, whatever magic juice he's got, yeah. go copy it till you start winning. Yeah. It's funny, I, I, this, this morning I, I watched a um, MotoGP race from 92 when before Duan hit his leg and he was riding, you know, he was riding regular. He wasn't, he wasn't up straight or, or leaning the other way or being crossed. He was, you know, riding like a MotoGP rider. Oh, yeah, at the time, yeah. during that time. Before he yes. got injured, right? After he got yeah. injured, he, he changed everything and everybody went like, oh, he's going fast. I'm going to do the same thing. It's like, no, he, he just can't move. Yeah, he always had that type of, you know, the the style back then is always was was a little bit more upright, you know. But uh, it's just based on tires and tire stuff. A lot of guys too, I think, on the body position thing, they they have a tendency to hang off too much. They hang their lower body off too much than hang their lower body off more than they need to, just to try to, you know. Uh, copy copy the gp guys but really if you look at them the nuts and bolts of that and you look at like how much ross is hanging off how much um marquez and all those guys it's like half a cheat you know and, and that that lower part of the body helps load the motorcycle and the upper body you know helps you manipulate things and rotate the bike around uh, people don't really get that very well or it's top part of so. It, it's about looking cool, man. That's why we were Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you do it in front of the, just on the turns where the camera guy is, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the only time I drag my elbows when I'm on the ground, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm not, that, I'm, I'm not that cool. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. All right, guys. Chris, thanks so much for your time. That was a great talk. Thanks for, thanks thanks for having me. I'm, I'm going to call you guys about YouTube channel stuff. You know, <laughs> thanks thanks, thanks yeah. for showing up. We'll do more. I think we'll be thinking about in the future, too. So we'll do more, hopefully. All right. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I'll see you guys. Uh, Jan- no, this is January, March. March at the fast track. Uh, my bike's still being built. Oh. Dude, March. It's in two months. I don't know, man. It's been, it's been at Kerry's shop for four months now. So he, he said he's, he's still waiting for an engine stand. Maybe you should send him an, an engine stand. So he, he gets going. Uh, the, I, I got a 2021 Jixxer 1000. He needs an engine stand. I don't know what he's going what he's gonna do to the engine. He yeah, says he's waiting on it from his friend, but I don't It'll know. be good. It's a hypercycle bike, right? Yeah. It'll he be, does a good job. It'll be, it'll be faster than the rider, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we used to carry, carry a lot. So, <laughs> back in the day. Um, yeah, well, cool. Well, hopefully right. see you guys out there. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, it was great. Good to see you. Thanks. All right. Talk soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.